As I said, we're going to read from Acts chapter 6 this morning. But I, think, I do think it's interesting that we, here we, we, earlier on we have Peter and John and they are filled with the Spirit of God and they are released because God sees fit to release them because their ministry is not yet done. And then we have the exact same thing happening. We have Stephen. Here's this elder who has been selected to lead the church and God fills him with his Holy Spirit, and he speaks powerfully. And I would encourage you just to, just to read in chapter 7 and, and see his defense of himself. And he defends himself powerfully. God gives him the words. and uh, Like it says in chapter 6 here, um, no one could stand up to the wisdom that the Spirit gave him. Because it wasn't Stephen speaking, it was the Holy Spirit. And despite all of that, you would think God's going to set Stephen free. Look at his incredibly passionate defense of Jesus Christ being the Messiah and being the Son of God. And yet they stone him to death. Stephen is the, the very first Christian martyr, the first Christian to lose his life for his faith. And so I've, I'm struck. I'm struck by the difference of responses. And I do think that there's a lesson there. I, I wasn't even going to touch on it, but I do think it's important to touch on the encouragement that regardless of, regardless of what happens, when the Holy Spirit gives us the words to say, whether the response is positive and we're set free, or the response is negative and we're martyred for our faith, the goal is still the same. The goal for us is still the same, which is to speak the words of God boldly and with wisdom and with power. Not persuasiveness, not trying to trick anyone, but simply to speak the words of God. The, the starting point and the ending point were very different, but the lesson is still the same. So what, what can we learn from Stephen here? Jumping back to chapter 6, and looking in verses 5 and 8, we hear about Stephen. We don't know a lot about Stephen. Uh, his, his, he's, only, you know, he's only got about a chapter and a half about him. Um, but we do know we do know enough to know that he's a role model. And so in verse 5, it says, this proposal pleased the whole group. And so they chose Stephen. The reason they chose Stephen, he's the only one who's singled out as a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Now it's possible that he's probably singled out because the author knows he's going to write about Stephen dying because this has already happened at this point. And so it's possible that's why, but it's important to note that his, his being full of faith and being full of the Holy Spirit is notable. It's written down in Scripture. Anytime something's written down in Scripture, generally speaking, if it's in the Bible, it's important. That's, that's my rule of thumb. Anything that's written in the Bible, generally speaking, very important. So it's important to us to note that he is full of faith and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And then continue on to verse 8. It says, once again, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. And I find that interesting because it's what we want to pray for here as well. For us, our first lesson and the most important lesson is to be full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Well, that sounds very simple and straightforward, doesn't it? That doesn't, doesn't sound like anything new or anything that I didn't already preach last week or the week before. And yet I want to highlight on it because I want to highlight what happens with Stephen and the, the process by which these things are happening. See, he didn't just become a Christian one day and all of a sudden signs and wonders started happening around him and through him. There, is, there are steps there. And so we see Stephen mentioned he's selected as one of the seven men who are called to be leaders and administer the distribution of food and uh, men who are leaders of the church. 
The apostles agree that they shouldn't stop preaching so that they can deal with administrative duties. They select other people to do those things because that's the way a body works. Some people are doing one thing, some people are doing another thing, and all the different parts of the body are doing different things um, so that the body can be successful. And of those men, Stephen is the first one to be mentioned. He's the only one who is specifically recognized for his faith. It shows Stephen a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And so um, the recommendation here, that it's interesting because the recommendation from the, the, uh, from the 12, from the disciples, is that they select people who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. Now, jumping back, if you look at the beginning of chapter 6, that's what the disciples tell the people. When you choose your seven men, choose men who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And so we have all these different things here. We have a man, Stephen, who's full of faith. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of wisdom, because that's what they chose. They chose a man who's full of wisdom. And then he, he's also full of miracles, God doing miracles through him. His life is full of these things. And so all these different things, he's experiencing fullness. And so there are three characteristics we're given that I think we should strive for. First of all, the first step is that we must be full of faith. You can't be full of the Holy Spirit unless you're full of faith. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit fills people who lack faith, who are distrusting of God, who are doubting God. We often see throughout Scripture that the people who are filled with the Spirit of God are people who are bold, people who are brave for God, for God's plans, people who step out in boldness and do remarkable and amazing things. That God is, does not fill them with his Spirit so that they'll have faith. I often think, I, I, to me anyways, when I read Scripture, these men and women are full of faith first, and then they are full of the Holy Spirit after that point. And I think there's a necessary distinction there. I don't think we come to church just so we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. I think we must be full of faith first, and then through that faith we receive the Holy Spirit in our lives. Faith is such a vital part of our relationship with God because we must walk by faith and not by sight. We talked about not that, that not that long ago, that the, the significance of what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. And we, we, we need to equate that with a, with a system of living, or with a, a mindset, a worldview, if you want to use that word, a worldview of eternity rather than just our lives here on earth. And the, the reason I say that is if, if we look at our lives as all there is, we will live as though that's all there is. That's what North America does. I mean, look at the people around you who are not believers, who are chasing whatever life they want to chase. And often it's success and money and power and whatever else. And for some people it's fame, sure. For some people it's sex or whatever it may be. But by and large, the culture is driven, driven by a desire for money and success. Well, that desire, that mindset, that worldview is driven by this is all there is. And therefore, I'm going to work hard so I can be successful so that I can enjoy this, which is all there is. As Christians, we are called, our, our, we have a responsibility to not think that way anymore. To not think this is all there is. And yet in North America, we have a lot of Christians believing or at least living like this is all there is. 
making financial decisions as though this is all there is, making time decisions, making life decisions, big and small, as though this life is all there is, when Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves can steal and moth and rust can destroy, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where no one can take them. That's a different mindset. That's thinking differently. You know what that takes? That really is a way of living out, walking by faith and not by sight. Because if we walk by faith, we're trusting God that there is an eternity beyond. We can't, we can't see it. You can't walk by sight and live that way with a heavenly mindset. And so we, walk, we have to, as Christians, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. If you remember, uh, I've, I've talked a few times, I've brought up about the, the Roman centurion who asked Jesus to heal his daughter. He, he had enough faith to come to Jesus and seek healing, but not only to come to Jesus and seek healing, but he tells Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. I'm a man of authority. I know how authority works. If you say the word, I know my daughter will be healed. And it says in scripture that Jesus was amazed at the faith of this man. There's only one thing that when you read the Gospels that it says Jesus is amazed about. Jesus is all kinds of things throughout Scripture. He's, sometimes he's angry when he comes to the money changers in the temple, people ripping off people and preventing worship. Jesus is, is he, he weeps, he, he mourns, he grieves, he's excited, he's happy. He, well, in this instance, he's amazed. And the thing that amazes him is this Roman centurion's faith. Elsewhere in Scripture, it tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so when you read 1 Corinthians 13, and you go, well, if I give all I have, all I possess to the poor, and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I'm nothing. And 1 Corinthians 13 talks all about love and the importance and supremacy of love. But when you get to the end of that chapter, it says faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these things is love. But you can't love Jesus without having faith in him. You can't. Faith is an integral part of Christianity. That sounds very foundational. It is. It is very foundational. Because if more believers walk by faith and not by sight, we would see, I, I think we would see a lot more of what Stephen's doing and a lot less of what Peter Popoff is doing. I think we'd see a lot more miracles. We'd see God pouring out his Holy Spirit. We'd see people miraculously healed we would see people walking in wholeness in their lives not i mean that walking in wholeness and being healed walking in financial wholeness walking in relational wholeness with their families we'd see less divorce i think we'd see less poverty if the church really walked by faith and not by sight it would look just i think at least a little bit different than it does right now not just in clinton but worldwide Faith is the foundation upon which all the rest of this is built. And so as we are full of faith, and I challenge you, be full of faith. Trust God. Put your faith in Him fully. When you pray, trust He's going to answer that prayer. Trust Him. Just step out in faith and say, Lord, I believe you're going to answer this prayer. And I have enough faith to say, God, if you say no to this prayer, I still believe. Sometimes it takes greater faith than just trusting that God's going to bring the miracle. 
takes faith to trust God's no sometimes in prayer. I don't, I don't know how often God says no. I, I, I think we sometimes we use that as an excuse to lack faith. And on the other hand, we, we think, oh, I'm going to be full of faith and God's just going to answer yes. And we end up like spoiled children. I don't, there's a balance in there that takes faith to trust God no matter what. Secondly, moving on from there, once we're full of faith, God will fill us with the Holy Spirit. Now remember, we're reading Acts chapter 6 here. In Acts chapter 2, we have the fulfillment of the prophecy that in the latter days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people, that anyone could be filled with the Spirit of God. I don't know if we have a real appreciation for how significant that is. Unless you read and understand the Old Testament and understand how rare it was to be filled with the Spirit of God, to have the very presence of God on earth, it, it, to be in that presence, to experience the presence of God, unless you understand that, you can't have an appreciation for then Acts chapter 2 and understanding that God pours out His Spirit so that we can experience the presence of God today. What a miracle that is. I mean, what a remarkable thing that is, that God would pour out His Spirit, that everyone in this room today can experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So, if you are full of faith, God will fill you with the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit is for everyone. Acts chapter 2 proves it, because everyone in the room on the day of Pentecost, all 120 of them, is baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone. Continuing on from there, three, if we are full of faith, God will fill us with the Holy Spirit, which then will cause us to be full of wisdom. This is the kind of quiet suggestion here, that when the disciples choose seven people who are full of faith, or sorry, full, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, that we need to equate being full of the Spirit with being full of wisdom. If we want wisdom, that comes from the Holy Spirit. And when you read on here and you read what Stephen says, it says that he spoke with such a wisdom that no one could stand up to his arguments. He's the world's first apologeticist as well. He's the world's most successful and yet least successful apologeticist. He doesn't convince anyone, which is profound and, and remarkable. And yet, at the same time, no one can stand up to what he's saying. The only way that they get him to be quiet is by murdering him, by martyring him. The only way, and the way that they do that is by tricking those members of the Sanhedrin. Yes, it's his own words that, that make the Sanhedrin angry and make him stone him. But the only reason that he has any accusation brought before him is because they lied about him. If we're full of faith, God will fill us with the Holy Spirit and then we'll be filled with wisdom. If you need to know what the right choices are, and that's really what wisdom is about. There's, again, difference between knowledge and wisdom, isn't there? Knowledge is knowing what you know knowing a lot of things knowing what's right and what's wrong you might know something you might know how to do something but wisdom is applying it wisdom is making the right decisions in every circumstance that's why they're told to select leaders who are full of the holy spirit because that's foundational and incredibly important and full of wisdom because they need to know what the right choices are who should get who needs uh, remember that we we kick this off with a very kind of interesting and mundane task. In those days, the number of disciples, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. If you're wondering what that means, it just means there were those who were Hebrew Jews and then there were those who were Hellenistic, which is those Jews who were uh, adapting to the culture of the day. They're just kind of two different people groups. 
And so it starts with a very mundane, you know, it's not fair. The distribution of food for the poor isn't fair. That's a really mundane thing. Why do you need wisdom for that? Why do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit for that? That's that's just human stuff. No, you divide it up evenly. Well, that's not what God's calling the leaders of his church to do. It might seem very mundane and yet requires the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we need to understand that all of these three things, being full of faith, being full of the Holy Spirit, and being full of wisdom, very little of that comes from us. Our input into that is generally just faith. Being filled with the Holy Spirit really just requires being an open vessel. Being full of wisdom really just relies on us trusting the Holy Spirit and listening to Him when He tells us to do something or say something. Our second lesson, continuing on into verse 8, shows us that God can do us amazing things through us when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Interesting, from there it goes on to talk about his op- the opposition he faces. So there's two parts to this. One, God can do amazing and miraculous things. And you, we see it all through the book of Acts, the miracles that God is doing. Yet that doesn't preclude us from going through opposition. Being full of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean we're never going to face opposition. In fact, it means just the opposite. This really is an important passage of Scripture for those who are being persecuted, but for us who are not being persecuted, it still applies. Just because the Holy Spirit gives us, performs miracles through us or around us, doesn't mean we're not going to face opposition. Even just because the Holy Spirit gives us the words to say, which it does for Peter and John earlier on in Acts 4 and 5, again, it does for Stephen here in Acts chapter 6 and 7, Just because God gives us wisdom to say incredibly wise things and do incredibly wise things and gives us the words to say to defend ourselves doesn't mean we're not going to face opposition. But God will do remarkable and profound and miraculous things when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. If we will trust God every day, verse 8 says Stephen was full of God's grace and power and he was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Demons were being cast out, people were being healed and amazing things were happening through Stephen. And the key word of this is through him, not because of him and not by him, but through him like a conduit. He's merely experiencing God working through him. And if we can understand that and maintain the humility of knowing that it's very little to do with us and everything to do with God, I believe God will do more. Not because of us, but actually just the opposite. Less of us allows the opportunity for more of Him. If we see someone who seems to be performing miracles and seeing amazing things happen, and none of the glory is going to God, that's a pretty good indicator that that's a false teacher or a false prophet or a false healer. The glory is always meant to go to God. And just as a, as a church as a whole, I know there, there are vast amounts of, of pastors out there. You know, even, even, uh, even for me to be able to put my sermons on the internet, I can't even imagine. That's like something I wouldn't have even dreamed of doing. Even now, it's like embarrassing the thought of it, that someone could just listen to that and, and you know, hear what goes on every Sunday morning. That, that's, that's fine. I'm okay with it. But I'm aware that when you go home this afternoon, you can go home 
and hear virtually any preacher on virtually any subject and what you're going through, and you can search it out. And there are pastors and, and preachers who are incredibly, like, remarkably better than I am. I mean, like, head and shoulders, it's not even close. You can go home and hear the most entertaining guys. I mean, go just, I, I like to just go and listen to Francis Chan or, like, lots of people like Stephen Furtick or, you know, there's, there's a, a million others out there. And you can go and listen to any number of preachers just from your house. You turn on the TV if you've got those channels and, and hear, you know, powerful preachers standing up and supposedly proclaiming the word of God. And so it's more important than ever that we are guarded against false teaching. Because there are those who will stand up. I mean, I, I get people, they ask me about Bethel Church, Bethel Redding. Bethel Redding in California is 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 a mega church down in the states and they've got the bethel school of supernatural ministry and it's honestly it's quite controversial some of the things they believe controversial <laughs> to say the least and so it's, it's so important and significant to look at the things that people are teaching look at the glory they're giving either to themselves or to god look at where everything is pointing and it's, it's, it's as important as ever to identify false teachers and avoid them at all costs. You need to know your scripture to know what you're hearing and identify it as either heresy or truth. That really, it's, it's, it's incredibly important for us to be led by the Holy Spirit in that. We need to identify those false teachers and we need to be aware of there will be many people who do signs and wonders who are not of God, who are not Christians, who are not Christ followers. Where does the glory point? Does it point to Jesus Christ or does it point to self? That's an important, just an important side note. I won't spend a lot of time on that. Continuing on, people are being healed through Stephen. Stephen's getting to see God do it in first person. We, we like to think, oh, you know, we live in North America and so just not a lot of miracles happen. This that doesn't disqualify us from experiencing miracles of God. I don't know if you're aware of that. I, like we, I don't. I, maybe you're not comfortable with that. I, I don't know what you know. Gauging what our what our church's thoughts are on miracles, but I I'll tell you today when the Holy Spirit moves, people get healed. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> people are set free from demons. People are loosed from addictions in Jesus' name. When the Holy Spirit really moves, miracles happen. That goes along with it. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not that if there's not miracles, God's not moving. No, I, but I think when the Holy Spirit really moves powerfully, I, I think we're, we're just part of a continual movement of the Holy Spirit. When, but when God really starts flowing through people, remarkable things happen, at least in the scripture from what I've read. And if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can see that. We can experience that. It takes being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Trusting God in every circumstance. Because you know what? Every now and then, you can't pray for someone for healing and see healing without the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you don't even know the healing that God wants to bring. You, you need to hear that from the Holy Spirit and know to pray into that. I mean, that's, that's, it takes an incredible reliance upon the Holy Spirit. and It takes incredible faith. To step out in the discomfort and say, can I, can I pray for your healing? Can I lay hands on you? God will do remarkable and amazing things, but it takes an incredible trust in the Holy Spirit. That's, that's true faith lived out. 
Continuing on, not only will God do remarkable things, God will also give us wisdom as we speak when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. When we are filled with the Spirit, He gives us the words to say. That's, I, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, a more simple but also more profound truth than that. That when we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will speak through us. He'll give us. I, I've experienced this before. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before. I, I experienced this before at, uh, I'll give you a story, and I won't won't name names because you would know the person, most of you, some of you. Um, but we, when I was early on being a senior pastor, I'm talking like the first couple of years of being a, a lead pastor here, um, we had a, a leadership meeting, and we were uh, meeting with uh, the assistant assistant district superintendent. His name is Dave Solms. Um, it's not about him, so I can share his name, but, uh, he came and so he, he'd be like my boss kind of, not really, but I mean, he's, he works at district office. And if he says you can't be a pastor of this church anymore, that's uh, pretty much goes. So he, you know, he, he came and he's, he's facilitating these leadership meetings and we're talking about different things. And in one of those meetings, one of our leadership, uh, it's not someone in this room, but, um, one of our leadership stood up and essentially started, you know, saying all the things that I wasn't doing as a pastor that they were disappointed about. Talking about all this, I should have I should have done this, and I should have done this, and basically calling out my leadership. I was a pretty young leader at this point. And, and, and it embarrassed me, essentially, in front of you know all the leaders, basically all the leaders of our church, in my own house, in front of Dave Solms, who's I consider a dear friend and also a mentor. You know? And so I'm like turning red, and internally I'm like seething mad. I'm so mad. I just want to stand up and scream and tell him to leave and never come back. And so all I can do as he's doing this is just pray because if I shout him down, I'm going to lose all the respect of the people in the room. And not only that, it's not biblical. It's not what I'm supposed to do. So I'm just praying. I'm just so uncomfortable. I'm saying, God, you know, internally I'm saying, God, please, please help me. That's all I can think to say. God, please help me. God, please help me because I'm so mad. God, please help me. And at the end of this kind of awkward confrontation, um, I don't remember word for word what I said. Uh, essentially, what, what happened was I, I got up and I, I told him that maybe this was not the time or the place to bring it up. But I did. I affirmed that I, I did still love him and that I forgave him and I gave him a hug. And we broke from the meeting for a minute <laughs> and I asked him to go downstairs. And despite wanting to beat him up downstairs in my house, I didn't do that. <laughs> no, I didn't want to do that. At that point, all I can say, and if you know me, you know that I've had struggled with a temper my whole life. You don't see it very often, but if you've ever been at camp, you probably have seen it a little bit. <laughs> and all I can say is it wasn't me. It wasn't me doing that. It wasn't me saying that. All I could do is rely on the Holy Spirit to speak. And so gently downstairs, I did what Scripture says, which is if, if a brother sins against you, you confront him one-on-one. I said, you really hurt me and offended me, and I would ask you to... to to apologize to me and apologize to the people up there for what you did. Um, but know that I, you know, I still love you and, and everything's fine. And he did to his credit. He apologized to me and he apologized to everyone in the room. And our relationship became strained at certain points, but we always had the respect of him not leaving the church over me screaming at him in the middle of a church meeting. <laughs> I'm thankful for that because that's, that couldn't have been me. I'm not that person. That's not how, the Nick Astle of the past, the hockey player, the motorcycle rider, the, the, the young man full of testosterone handles things. Still to this day, still, still the temptation arises to just scream at someone. 
It wasn't me anymore. All I can tell you is it's not that I was full of wisdom and full of self-control. No, no. The only thing I had was to rely on the Holy Spirit. I guess you could say I was full of the Holy Spirit, but I, I can't take credit for that. All I did was say, God, please help me. And it's not me. I can tell that story not boastfully, but humbly saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't under, allow me to undermine my own leadership here at this church for years. I don't know how long it would have taken to mend that had I done what I wanted to do. The Holy Spirit, when we allow him, will do, to me, that's a miracle because it's not, it's not in my nature. It's not who I am. It's not my human nature to do that. So it had to be God. And so when the Holy Spirit does things, sometimes it's those kind of small miracles. Sometimes it's the huge miracles we're reading about. But let's not, let's not downplay the incredible thing that the Holy Spirit's able to do when we just submit to him and we say, Holy Spirit, not me, but you. Not my words, but yours. We can do that in little ways. And we can do that in really big ways. I want to do that in every part of my life. I wish I relied on the Holy Spirit more than just in times of crisis like that. God gives us wisdom as we speak, but he only does it when we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Luke 21 talks about, I, I had to look it up because I brought it up, I think it was last week, maybe it was two weeks ago. But I had to look it up, Luke 21, 14 and 15, it says, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, this is Jesus speaking, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. That's Luke chapter 21. You know, you know who lived this verse out first? It's Stephen. He's living it out right here. This, I mean, that's almost word for word what it says about Stephen when he brings his arguments before the people. It says no one can stand up to him. No one has the wisdom. This is, Stephen's not a learned man, just like Peter and, and John and others are not learned men. And yet God gives him the wisdom to speak. Stephen is living out this promise. He's living it out completely. It's important to remember that just because he sees the fulfillment of that does not mean everything goes his way. Just the opposite. Just the opposite. It's not, I mean, we don't see, when, we, when Peter stands up and preaches, 3,000 people join his church. When Stephen stands up and preaches, they kill him. And God, everything falls basically in between that. 3,000 people joining your church, being stoned to death for your faith. And yet, God equates both of those things. In fact, if anything, I think he holds the stoning higher. I think he holds martyrs and those who are persecuted for their faith in higher regard than those who are mega pastor churches, mega church pastors. <laughs> I think God holds... And yet we would say, well, I guess he wasn't successful. I guess God didn't give him the right words. I mean, we can read it and know, know up here, yes, I understand that God, you know, God spoke through him, that God gave him wisdom. But in man's eyes, if that's we're seeing this play out just in, in real time and living out, oh, what's the first thing we say? Well, I guess the Holy Spirit didn't speak through him. They killed him. They murdered him. But we have the benefit of hindsight and reading in the scripture that he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, that his words were so wise that no one could stand up against him, and so they tricked the Sanhedrin into murdering him, essentially. We need to understand that our responsibility is not for the end result. Our responsibility in what we say is not in the end result of what we say to people, but in the doing 
and saying of what God tells us to do and say. Success for us isn't measured by the end result. And we live in a culture and a society where success is measured by the end result. Dollars in the bank account, square footage of the house, net worth. Those are all things by which people measure their success. And God says, I don't measure success that way. Of course it's going to take faith. Of course it's going to take an eternal mindset. Because we have to think differently. We have to measure success differently. As Christians, our success can't be measured by how many people fill the pews on Sunday mornings. I like I, I I don't know how you've been reading Carl Vader's book, and he talks quite a bit about this in the Grasshopper Myth, and it's an excellent book, and it talks about the strengths of small churches. Yes, there are unhealthy small churches that are small because they're unhealthy, but there are also healthy small churches that are small just by necessity or by choice. And he, he talks quite a bit about this. If we are using just pew filling as a measure of success, then over 80% of pastors are failing in their calling. Because if I remember the stat correctly, 83% of pastors pastor what what worldwide, globally, would be considered a small church. Now for him, I think he's like 250 and less. So uh, 250 would be a huge church to us. But that's you know a small church when a lot of churches run 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, or in some in Kenya, 50,000 people or more. Or, or Korea, you know, 20,000 people in a service on Sunday morning. So if 83% of pastors are failing in their calling, obviously that's pretty depressing, but that's, we, don't, we can't measure success by the way the world measures success. And it's really important to understand that's not a cop-out to not grow. We have to grow. We have to grow spiritually as a group. We have to become more mature. As we do that and become more healthy, and I believe we're slowly trudging towards that. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but as, as we grow individually and spiritually speaking, as we grow in maturity as a church, I do believe we'll see people coming. But the, the marker of our success is not, an, not just alone in how many people come to faith. Just like the parable of the sower, the responsibility of the sower is not to determine whether or not the seed will grow, not to force the seed to grow, just to plant the seed. And interestingly, in the parable of the sower, the sower is not a very good sower because it, he keeps throwing seed in places where it's either not going to grow or it's going to grow on really rocky, terrible soil or it's going to grow a bunch, amongst a bunch of weeds where it's going to be choked out. Only a quarter of the crop is, is, is successful in the parable of the sower. The responsibility for the sower is not even to plant the seed in good soil. It's just to plant, just to plant the seeds. That's it. And in the parable of the sower, we don't even talk about watering. We don't talk about tilling. We don't talk about weeding. Just in sowing. Just that's what that parable is about. It's not that those other things are not important. Of course they're important. I believe that as Christians, part of what we do in, in watering or preparing the soil is loving people, meeting their needs, going out into our community and feeding them and clothing them and doing what we can for the poor. All those things are an incredibly important part of being a believer. But when it comes to evangelism and sharing the gospel, when it comes to not knowing what to say, that's not an excuse for us. It's not. It's not an excuse for us not to, 
just because we think we won't be successful even. Because even Stephen here, even Stephen, I didn't mean to say that, pun not intended. <laughs> Stephen here, in his receiving the word and the wisdom from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit speaking through him by, by human standards is not successful in defending himself because they stone him to death. We don't have a responsibility to the end result. God, God takes care of that. God knew. God knew that Stephen was going to be stoned to death for his faith. God was able to use that in, in powerful and profound ways. Well, we don't even know all the ways that God used that. It's not all recorded in Scripture. And we, we you know, as, as a church, when we do things like camp, we try and measure, you know, have some kind of measurable success. How many children are coming to church? You know, how many kids are coming on Sunday mornings? How many kids come to kids' night? How many come to... By human standards, maybe we're not being that successful. I, I don't know. That's... That's not for me to decide. I, I'm, I'm an eternal optimist when it comes to kids' camp and, and seeing lives change. But we don't we don't measure by human standards. God's measure of success is incredibly different than ours. I, I believe that God considers Stephen to be one of the most successful people in Scripture, one of the people that we ought to look up to incredibly, and yet we only have a chapter and a half or so or two chapters about Stephen because he was mur martyred for his faith. That doesn't mean he wasn't successful. It means that he didn't, you know, his defense didn't persuade anyone not to stone him to death. But in God's eyes, I don't think we can say that Stephen wasn't successful in what he did. He lived out his faith in an incredibly powerful and profound way. And once again, all of this requires and necessitates being filled with the Holy Spirit. All of it. Being filled with the wisdom of what to say and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through us, of course that requires the Holy Spirit. It's not our words, it's God's. He needs to speak through us. Lastly, and I'll try and wrap this up here, in verse 60, right at the very end, we see that uh, the Holy Spirit enables us to live out forgiveness in a very powerful and profound way. Verse 59, it says, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Which Jesus did. And then in verse 16, it says, Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It's the last thing Stephen said. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is the euphemism for he died. Being filled with the Holy Spirit enables us to do miraculous things that are beyond our own ability to do. What an incredible gift. These are essentially the words of Jesus on the cross. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Is that not almost exactly the same as what Stephen says here? Lord, don't hold this sin against them. What a beautiful, beautiful act of forgiveness. To make that the last thing he says. Forgive them, God. Forgive them. He, the Holy Spirit enables us to live out these amazing, amazing acts of mercy, of forgiveness, of caring, and of love. Acts of a remarkable and profound sacrifice. That's only from the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit could have done that. I don't think that's in Stephen's nature to do that. That's not a human nature thing to do. But it is a Holy Spirit thing to do. 
Even while they murder him, he prays for their forgiveness. And that, to me, is forgiveness in action. That's mercy taking a stand. I believe the depth of that is love. I, I believe Stephen loved the people who were stoning him so much that he desired that God would still reach to them even after Stephen was dead. That God would still show mercy to them. I think he loved them. I, 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 and to me, I don't know how you can love the people who are murdering you. It's incredibly, incredibly difficult to do, obviously, to live out. But that's our incredibly high calling is to have that same level of love, to have that same level of forgiveness for people who hurt, who hurt us, to pray for their forgiveness, to pray that God would have mercy on them. We don't often pray that over, over the people who hurt us, who harm us. I don't know. That's, that can only be a Holy Spirit thing because I, don't, I think to me when God tells us to, to pray for those who persecute us, to love our enemies— our way of doing that is, you know, maybe if we are really, really holy, we we just pray, God, please bless them. And then we go on and pray, you know, for an hour about ourselves and all the things we need and want. I don't think that's Stephen's attitude here. I don't think God is calling us so much beyond, oh, I'm, I'm really angry at them and my heart's not really changed by by prayer. God will change our heart in prayer if we pray for that person who does not like us long enough. I believe God, the Holy Spirit, can change our attitude towards that person. Just in a, I mean, really in a miraculous way. We can extend miraculous forgiveness to people, but we, all of it requires being full of the Holy Spirit. So going back to how we began here, Stephen is full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and he's full of wisdom. And for us, if we want to be full of all of those things, if we want to receive the words that God wants to say through us, if we want to extend forgiveness that's miraculous and beyond ourselves and have the words to say and, and, and the right attitudes, if we want to live out a life of faith and, and, uh, and, and miraculous occurrences in our lives, if we want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, it all starts with faith. It starts with trust in God and saying, Lord, I invite you. I invite you into my life and into my heart to change it. And as we begin to grow in that faith, he starts to do more. And he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And we can, we can see amazing things happen this week even. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't have to be a long-term process. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you today. The Holy Spirit wants to speak through you this week. He wants you to extend forgiveness this week. Wants you to step out in faith this week. He'll give you the words to say. Doesn't mean you'll be successful. That didn't for Stephen. Not in, in man's eyes, but in God's eyes. The success is in being obedient to what he tells us to do. So I challenge you this week to do that.